Mind Space. I'm Simone Howell with Pallet Life Sciences. Pallet Life Sciences is dedicated to providing educational resources and fostering meaningful peer-to-peer discussions about VUR and pediatric urology. Please subscribe to us and look for the Ped Space on Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. The content of today's episode is solely the opinion of Dr. Daniel Wood, Professor of Urology at Children's Hospital, Colorado. In this episode, Dr. Wood discusses the new emerging specialty of adolescent urology and common urological conditions affecting adolescent men and women. Dr. Wood, thank you so much for being here on the PED space. You know, you are doing some very innovative things in the realm of adolescent and reconstructive urology. What makes this area of study a new emerging specialty? Thank you, Simone. I'm delighted to talk to you about this. Adolescent urology is really something that was invented by my predecessor and his pediatric colleagues when I worked in London. In about 1981, Christopher Woodhouse, Philip Ransley and D.I. Williams really recognised the need that these kids that had had surgery for complex conditions in childhood were going to need lifelong care. That's really the essence of what we're talking about. Understanding and interest has certainly grown in the last few years. There's a real understanding that it's important to make sure that patients are well prepared for moving from care that's really governed between their parents and their provider, as opposed to being directed by themselves as they move into their own independent healthcare space. Also, we've seen a lot of improvements in pediatric techniques, which means that conditions that would have been extremely disabling or maybe even fatal 40 or 50 years ago, there is now an expected survival and in many cases, an almost normal life expectancy. And that means that there's a growing population of kids who are growing into adulthood, needing lifelong care for complex conditions and urological outcomes. So when you talk about these children that are specifically being transitioned into adulthood, are there any adolescent problems that you think about separately from pediatrics versus adult that are sort of their own special space? There certainly are, and they they fall into a number of different categories. The first is really just privacy and confidentiality, the ability to have a conversation in private with your healthcare provider and for that information to remain confidential. Within that framework, of course, the conversation for a patient who is 10 is going to shift by the time that they are 16, 18 and onwards because they're starting to think differently about life. A, they want to be more independent. They want to make their own decisions but also they're thinking about how the surgery they may have had or the condition that they have had may affect them in other realms that aren't necessarily discussed in pediatric care. For instance, thinking about their fertility, thinking about intimate relationships, how that may affect their sexual function uh, and reproductive potential going forward. Is there anything specifically in differences in how you think about adolescent men versus adolescent women when it comes to their growth and dynamics and sexuality? I think that's a great question. There are lots of different aspects that we could talk about with that, but essentially there are some real common themes. So there are things that both will worry about. They'll worry about the things that we've mentioned already in terms of relationships. Both will probably worry to a degree about body image and whether the scarring and things as a result of their surgery impacts upon that. Yeah, I think it's fair to say there are distinct differences between the two. So for instance, if you've had to have urethral or penile reconstruction 
as a man, then that may make a difference in terms of how you empty your bladder. You may have to sit to pee, which many of your peers won't have to do. You may have to catheterize to empty your bladder. And that obviously is something that if you're going into a locker room or you're going into a school toilet, makes a difference to a young man in terms of how they interact with their peers and how they may be viewed by their peers. So that's important. For young ladies, I think, as I say, the common concerns around body image exist there. And whilst the same differences in terms of how they pass urine may not be the same as we see in men, those that have to catheterize have to think about how they're going to plan that how they're going to make sure that that remains discreet, because many of these young people will have a real concern about revelation of their condition and how they will share that with peers if indeed they decide to do that. So you're currently building a clinic in the Denver area for the specific patients. I'd like to hear a little bit about those plans and also how you use or what type of team members you are bringing on board for this clinic. So this is really exciting. I ran in London a practice that really was centered around these patients for around 13 years. And I'm very grateful to my colleagues and for the time that I spent there. Moving to Denver, we had a real opportunity to build a service based on what had already been started, but looking to think about really blue sky thinking, things that we wanted to do differently. We clearly want to have a children's adult component to that, and we have that. So I work in both a pediatric and an adult setting. We want to think carefully with other colleagues across the hospital about how we prepare people for transition. So there's a program called Impact Here, or Improving Pediatric and Adolescent Care Through Transition, that's been so active in promoting that and starting to build pilots across the hospital. So there is already a multidisciplinary team feel to that. We work in children's in really well-designed multidisciplinary clinics with the colorectal team, with gynecologists, with the spina bifida team, with orthopods, and a range of other specialists that really contribute to care. The vision in the long term is really to make sure that we can continue that care, that multidisciplinary feel as we move across into an adult environment. And there are different constraints uh, in terms of the amount of space that's available in an adult hospital, just simply because of the volume of patients. So we've got to work with our adult partners to try and make sure that that is as effective as it has been in a pediatric environment. So that although care will be very much with an adult bent to it, it will have the similar elements that people have been used to in, in children's care. I'd like to switch gears here a little bit and talk around the phenomenon of older patients coming into the pediatric clinic. And also, they seem to be sicker. They seem to be coming in undiagnosed at an older age. Do you have any opinion about that? I think that's a really interesting question. I don't have any data to support that because obviously I'm new to the US healthcare system. I think that there are certainly patients that have come through my clinic so far that have had difficulty with accessing healthcare. And I think that's important to recognize to make sure that they are getting their access to healthcare and that we're able to intervene as early as possible. I think that there are a group of patients who have been extremely well cared for under a children's system, and I'm not necessarily talking specifically about Colorado, I'm talking much more widely than that, who then have access difficulties as they become an adult. And there are a variety of reasons for that, geographical, insurance-based, resource-based, and so on. And so they tend to revert to their children's hospital because 
they're the people that they trust and that they've had a good relationship with. And I think that sometimes that's a comfortable relationship with a children's hospital and sometimes a, a children's hospital becomes capacity limited and can't look after much, much older patients when there should be adult facility provided for them. So I think that the package needs to be looked at as a whole. We need to make sure that when these kids have surgery or when they need surgery in early childhood, that that's delivered to them. But there's a recognition that that is some kind of a bond with the healthcare system, almost a contract, if you like, that there should be then the creation of an ongoing pathway for them so that there is the ability for them to have care throughout their life whenever they're needed and that they're not allowed to drift out of the healthcare system and then only fall back in when disaster or real illness strikes them. Would you speak to me a little bit about adolescents, females specifically, and recurrent UTIs that happen as they age and become sexually active, and possibly the underdiagnose of that in this country? Yeah, it's an important topic. I think that there are lots of different reasons why that sort of thing can happen. One is just, if you like, physiological and the change in life and also the change in circumstance and behavior. So you mentioned as they become sexually active, they have an initial risk of early cystitis. There have been patients for a, a range of conditions where conservative management has been more prevalent, for instance, for psychoeurotic reflux. In those circumstances, it doesn't necessarily mean that the psychoeurotic reflux is causal in the urinary tract infections, but if you're going to evaluate somebody, then you need to think about that. You need to think about whether that is a potential cause for it and whether in some of these young ladies, intervention is going to be important for them. I think it's really important for both providers and patients to try and maintain consistency and continuity in care so that what you do for one patient, you try and do for the next patient so that you're being consistent in your health care, but also that if a patient doesn't hear necessarily the answer that they were expecting from a provider, that it's perfectly okay for them to seek a second opinion, but not to seek a third, a fourth, a fifth or a sixth opinion, because you'll get conflicting advice, you'll get confusing messages, and that can just lead to making your own healthcare even more patchy and more difficult. So I think as a message, evaluating these kids properly, making sure that they have appropriate investigation, so proven urinary uh, infections with culture positive, appropriate investigations with ultrasonography and where necessary video cystograms so that we can see and prove whether there's reflux and think about whether or not that is a cause and whether that then needs further intervention or whether there are other causes that we need to be thinking about. So in conclusion, do you have any call to action for your peers around adolescent management? Yeah, absolutely. This is a really exciting area of healthcare and it's developing, it's growing, there is increasing interest in it. So if you're a young doctor and you're coming into the specialty or you're coming into medicine and you're thinking about urology, then why not think about the long-term care of congenital urological conditions and getting involved with that? come and visit us in Colorado. We'll be very happy to show you what we do. There are lots of other centers around the country that are also developing. So it's exciting. There are lots of conversations. If you see these patients and you're not directly involved in this field of medicine, then don't be afraid of the complexity or worried about whether or not you can do the right thing. Make an assessment, ask sensible questions, make a sensible examination, and then call somebody who is involved in this field and ask for advice. 
There are lots of us out there now. We're prepared to help. We're happy to support our patients and our colleagues in making sure that these patients get the right care going forward. Well, Dr. Wood, thank you so much for sharing this new innovative field of medicine. And uh, we look forward to potentially having a webinar on this in the fall. Samane, thank you very much for all of your questions. I've greatly enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, Dr. Wood. And thank you for joining us this week on the PEDS space. To access more educational content, please visit the Deflux Learning Center at deflux.com and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can learn more about our company and our products at palletlifesciences.com. Thank you.